Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The uh, title of the talk is uh, Equanimity, Finding Balance in Difficult Times. Um, How many people were here last week? Last week, uh, Kate and uh, Betsy Rose... um, we're with the group. I spoke to Kate. I was with Kate uh, yesterday. Um, and um, from all accounts, it was uh, just just the right medicine and moving, especially when you're singing and you're kind of channeling your your energy together with others. So uh, I I hope you found it helpful and supportive. Um, I often quote a study that I uh, that I've been touched by that when it's been shown that um, when people are going through either physical or uh, emotional pain that when you um, when they hold somebody's hand, their threshold for for pain is uh, is much higher, is much greater, and uh, I think that's uh, that's what it sounded like happened last week, and uh, <clears throat> I think tonight's going to be a little bit more hand holding. Um, and I want to first say that um, there are lots of people listen to these talks besides us here in uh, in Berkeley. So um, I want to honor and respect that there's many different perspectives that people have on reality. Um, and uh, just processing this uh, election, I want to acknowledge and honor the fact that many, many people are very excited and uh, happy and enthusiastic about um, the possibilities and what might be. So um, I'm. I don't want to get into a. Um, an us versus them uh, kind of mentality on who's right, who's wrong. Um, we are going into uncharted territory, no matter what your um, political disposition is. This is new, uncharted where somebody who's never 
held any office and who has different perspectives on the way things should go um, is going to be in charge. And um, a number, a few months ago, I gave a a talk uh, that was, I called it something like um, Politics versus Moral Imperative, uh, in which I uh, tried to make the point that no matter what one's politics are, that there are certain basic principles, dharma principles, that um, underlie inner peace, um, waking up, uh, the sense of of um, well-being. And that um, basically the, the three mm, tasks of a, a Dharma practitioner are um, do no harm, act for the good, and purify the mind. That's basically what, um, what the Buddha was putting out. And that's why uh, the precepts and the Eightfold Path um, having three aspects of our relations in the world, right speech, right action, right livelihood, that the basis of those is um, not causing harm as best you can to either yourself or another, because there's a price to pay for creating suffering um, intentionally, um, unintentionally. Uh, the, the 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 karma is is not the same as knowingly um, doing things that will be hurtful to others. So in that talk I was as I was trying to make the point that um, whatever your politics are if there's somebody speaking out um, that is causing in a way that will cause suffering or has an intention of causing suffering to others uh, this is not so much a political as it is a, uh, a moral kind of question. So I know that there are many people, say, who might have voted for uh, the winner in the election who didn't, who do not have their motive to cause harm, who might have their motive to um, just uh, improve their own lot, their own life, or thinking that what they are wanting will be for the greater good. And it's important for everyone to really understand that, as I think maybe maybe we are starting to see that um, there's lots of different views based on lots of different 
pieces of information, um, and even if somebody thinks differently than you do, uh, it, it's, um, it might be good to give the benefit of the doubt that they're coming from uh, not a hurtful place until proven otherwise. And this uncharted territory, um, it's clear, at least by the last few days since this election, um, there's some very um, disturbing signs of people who might be put into power. There's a kind of surreal quality to to it. I don't know if you have this experience. I've mentioned it to, a, or a few people have have mentioned it, and I've experienced it. It's like you know, I wake up and I think, "Oh, okay, it's another day," and then I kind of remember. How many people have had that experience? <laughs> it's like, "Oh, no, this isn't a dream." Uh, ooh. Oh, what does this mean? Basically, that's that's a big question for me. What does this mean anyway? And it's surreal. And uh, it's is this really happening? And it's it's a bit uh, a similar feeling to to nine eleven after that happened, you know. And our country is is kind of privileged that we. 9/11 is, is has been the big event that's happened to us. There's lots of countries in this world that have had many, many 9/11s, or that are going through 9/11s every day, whether you're in Syria or North Korea or wherever you happen to be, all the uh, loads of places in Africa where every day it's a 9/11. But for us, there's a kind of the, the disturbance in that privileged, generally privileged field is so um, unsettling. You say, oh gosh, this isn't the way life is supposed to be. So as I explore this with you, first of all, I want to be um, very humble in saying that I'm not going to give you the magic answer to to this, that this is a process that we're all going through. Um, but I wanted first to name some of the disturbing signs before we get to the equanimity. Because it's equanimity doesn't just mean, oh, it's cool, it'll all work out, and, you know, if I wait long enough, everything passes. Uh, equanimity, as I'm sure most of you know, um, does not mean indifference. It does not mean apathy. Those are the near enemies of equanimity that look like a balance of mind but are very different. There's a disconnection in those near enemies. But equanimity is... Um, a very powerful, um, not just attitude, way of being that allows us to hold reality, but it means that we're connected to reality 
as we learn to hold it. So first we, we need to just see and name what's, what's here so we can create space around it. Otherwise, when we, when we, if we're not informed, then we are, um, we're, we're living in a dream world and we're not waking up to what's here. So just recount some of the um, potential appointments. One has already been made. Steve Bannon, who is the hero of the alt-right movement as chief strategist, who's um, so skillful at manipulating othering and hatred. Just letting that land for a moment. And partly equanimity includes having taking a lot a lot of space around these. So there's Steve Bannon, the alt right hero. There's um, who has um, been on a crusade against um, most everyone. LGBT, immigrants, African-Americans, minorities of, of every kind, um, anyone other than him or his kind, um, the white male power. There's Myron Eppel, who... Um, is uh, being considered for the um, EPA head. And Myron Eppel is a climate change denier. He says that it's a, it's a hoax. There's a um, possibility of John Bolton, one of the most hawkish of... Um, people in the earlier Bush administration. There's, uh, as possible, um, what was his? Was it UN representative? Is that it? There's, he was UN representative, no, but appointment for what, Secretary of State or? Secretary of State, yeah, he was UN representative. Ambassador, there's a possibility being floated of Jamie Dimon, uh, who was the head of J.P. Morgan, who was one of the the main culprits in uh, the the crash of '08. Um, he or else uh, Goldman Sachs main banker, um, whose name I don't, uh, Mnuchin, I think it was as Treasury Secretary. There is um, this guy, Chris Kobach, who um, talked about uh, the, the, um, the positivity of the, uh, the Japanese internment camps as a model 
for reg- registering Muslims. There's um, a coal uh, mining um, owner, billionaire, um, uh, Wilbur Ross, I think his name is, for commerce secretary. So um, it's not very comforting. And then, of course, there's whatever, whoever for Supreme Court justice and things like that. So before I say any more, just kind of first let that land. And part of equanimity means being willing to feel it all. Fears worry, sadness, or whatever, the host of emotions that might come up. Let's just take a few moments and take a nice, some nice deep breaths. And it also seems that there's uh, chaos in the in the process. That there's a lot of infighting. It seems, however we feel about that, whether that's positive or negative or whatever. Um, so, how to hold this all? And as the title of the talk says, a a Buddhist um, response would generally underscore equanimity. But what does that mean? What does equanimity mean? How does it work? Can you just flip a switch and say, you know, oh, it'll all work out which eventually it will all work out. How can it not? Because life just goes on. What it will work out to, we don't know, but, um, but life will keep on unfolding. But uh, it, it probably, um, it's, it's not as easy as flipping a switch and just finding some inner peace in it all. But equanimity is um, in in the uh, in the seven factors of enlightenment. There are. It's falling asleep here. Hold on a moment. Like that. Um, There are three. Energizing factors, investigation, um, energy, and joy. Um, and then there are, um, there's mindfulness, which is uh, in the middle. And then there's three stilling factors, 
calm, concentration, and equanimity. And I, I like to think of calm as a kind of settled stillness. And concentration is a kind of focused stillness. And equanimity is a, a spacious stillness where there's all there's space for everything and this is what we're somehow trying to access as we we open to new realities and the the, the image that i i've mentioned many times of kuan yin in her relaxed repose where Kuan Yin, the embodiment of compassion, feels all the, the suffering, all the cries of the world, all the pain of the world, and is moved by it and responds, but there's a kind of spaciousness and balance that's not responding out of um, agitation or um, being off-center. And that's what she represents is compassion held with equanimity. So how to get this spaciousness? Especially when you, you hear, ooh, that's, that doesn't look very pretty. And particularly and for me, as I've, I've mentioned before, uh, climate change is a is a subject that's uh, it's really uh, touched me when there's a kind of mm, time pressure on things. And you say, oh my God, oh, we're going to lose ground and then, then what? But um, besides having the space to hold all the feelings and to um, uh, begin by opening to the, the grieving and the sadness or the shock, if that's one, one thing that you might feel. Uh, and I suggest that, uh, for me, it, uh, it, it makes sense to take it in doses. It's too overwhelming to just be weighed down and continually dwell on it, that we... We need to nourish ourselves and we need to remember what's worth living in this life and to see all the, the beauty and the goodness around us too because that gives us energy to, to act from inspiration and, and love as much as we can. Um, and also, by the way, when we're, we're thinking about all of these awful possibilities, just want to underscore that for those of us who are white privileged um, and if you're feeling that, you're feeling that kind of fear and shock and worry, um, just keep in mind what it um, might be like for people who are not privileged in that way and are um, really dealing with, with prejudice on a daily basis and how 
this new turn of events might be affecting that consciousness. Just something to keep in mind for all of us. So taking it in doses. But then there's the other side, which, you know, I, I've been teaching awakening joy for many years. So um, there's, uh, and, I, and I've done it because after, after losing my joy for a while and getting very serious, I realized, oh, that, that's not who I, who I have become in this life. Uh, that I somehow really um, have enjoyed appreciating and loving life. And so not to just dwell on all the despairing stuff, but to also see other possibilities. So that's my natural kind of uh, inclination. Well, what good can possibly come of this? How many people have reflected on that? I'm not alone. Yeah. And we don't know. This is one really important piece about equanimity. We don't know. We can have maybe a a good idea about how scary things might get or how, you know, what needs to happen or what might happen or whatever. But in, the, in, in another way, we have no idea what, how th- this is going to play out. And there are some possibilities here. Mm. As I've mentioned a number of times, uh, the, the Buddha's teaching, transcendental dependent arising, uh, starting out with suffering can lead to faith. Faith can lead to gladness, can lead to joy, happiness, contentment, peace, all the way to awakening. He starts out with the fact that suffering can be a catalyst for good things to arise. And I've asked here many times before, how many people, I'll just ask it quickly again, how many people have been uh, motivated by suffering to make positive changes in their life? This is not just theoretical. This is often the way it works. And so, um, as often is the case, I, I, I gave a talk a couple of months ago uh, titled something like um, The Light Brings Out the Darkness and the Darkness Brings Out the Light. It's been the play of consciousness since the beginning of time, the duality of, and when I say actually a different way, I might be saying shadow. And I, when I use that word, uh, um, darkness, um, I'm talking about how sometimes it's hard to see 
in the night. Um, but shadow might be a, a better word. Uh, and I want to really honor that uh, darkness is a word that we should be uh, careful about using these days. But that our um, the confusion, out of confusion, um, there is even more of a movement towards the light, towards seeing clearly. That's the the definition of vipassana, to see things clearly, to wake up. Um, And so this is a possibility that maybe wouldn't be here otherwise, that that suffering or fear or... um, Pain, it shakes us out of our complacency. It wakes us up. It's energizing. And perhaps you've seen, you know, well, you, certainly there were all the demonstrations uh, after, uh, after the election, but um, I've been just noticing people speaking out that haven't normally spoken out before. It's been. I'm a, I'm a big sports fan, so uh, as as many of you know, and there's LeBron James and other athletes saying, "We gotta we gotta work for the good in this country." There's Steve Kerr, who's one of my heroes. I just say his name, and I start to. <laughs> He's good, isn't he? Thank goodness that Steve Kerr is on this planet. (laughs) Along with Steph Curry and the others. But there's Steve Kerr just really not holding back, saying there's something wrong in this. We've got to really keep our eyes open. And there's, um, I don't know if you, how many people uh, watch John Oliver here? He's so good. And he was so, ins- he said, similar to what uh, Colbert said and uh, uh, other people have said, along with being really funny, he said, This is not the time to think about going to Canada. Do not leave this country. And a number have said the same thing. Hillary was quite beautiful just uh, yesterday, saying the same thing. Uh, from not, a, it was refreshing to see not a, a, a political speech, but just speaking right from her heart. And however you feel about her, there's some goodness in there. So there, and there's voices that are speaking out that. Um, might just be have settled back into complacency before. So, okay, well, got that one figured out, and uh, and there would just be the same gridlock of not much happening for the next few years. But this kind of this is different. This shakes things up. And I apologize if this is getting. Um, too political for, for some of you. Um, but um, getting back to the, the people who have been looking for a change, 
that voted for Donald Trump, uh, they're going to be looking to see if he can improve their lot. And they have a lot of energy, as you've seen. And if he improves their lot, if he improves the lot of many poor people, well, that'll be a very good thing. However, with Jamie Dimon and others in charge, I wonder just what kind of change there will be. And there's going to be a whole lot of people that looked to him as a savior that are going to be very disgruntled. So, um, what then? What then? Charlotte Bronte has this um, great line. She says, um, to see the worst is to take from fear her main advantage. To see the worst or know the worst is to take from fear her main advantage. That if you say, okay, who knows what the worst is, but uh, to say, okay, this is happening. What? Uh, there's nothing more to be afraid of. There's no holding back. But getting back to equanimity, we don't know. Equanimity means to see how things unfold without coming to conclusion um, uh, before things become clear. It means being engaged. It means caring and true compassion that's held without an attachment to results. It means having real courage. Equanimity takes real courage. It's one thing to just close our eyes. It's another to meet reality with head on saying, okay, I can be here for this too. There's a a famous story that if you've gone on retreats, Maybe you've heard the story of um, the Zen, uh, there's a Zen master and there was this samurai who was the scourge of the, uh, of, of the countryside and uh, was very, very uh, brutal um, uh, in, uh, in his conquering. And when people would hear that he was coming, they'd flee the town and uh, this the samurai comes to this one town where everybody flees except for the Zen master in the, in the monastery. And the, the scout um, checks it out and he reports back to the, uh, to the fierce warrior and he says, everybody's gone, it's ours to take, except there's just this one 
Zen master, this one master in the monastery. And the the samurai, the warrior, was really upset. And he goes to the monastery. And the Zen master is just sitting in meditation. And uh, the warrior very fiercely approaches him. And he says, do you know who I am? I'm someone who can take this sword I have in my hand and run you through without batting an eye. And the Zen master says, and I, sir, am someone who can be run through without batting an eye. At that, in the story, the samurai puts down the sword, bows, and leaves as in all good Zen stories. (laughs) But you can see how, how much courage it takes to say, okay, I can be here for this too. I can be here for this too, no matter what. No matter what, I'm going to be here for it. So equanimity takes courage, It takes caring and compassion. It takes commitment that if you hold a vision, you're not going to be thrown from your highest intention. That you are clear. Equanimity requires clarity that knows what you're trying to create if it's aligned with the highest values without attachment to the result, without um, drawing any particular conclusion, but having some kind of trust in the greater unfolding of things. And also being open to doing your part to make a difference. There's a, another story, uh, maybe you've, I've mentioned it here, of this, this guy who's going, uh, going to, the Zen, to the Zendo and he passes this, uh, this family on the side of the road who's destitute and he's you know, really saddened by what he sees. And then he, he passes them on and he goes to the Zen monastery, to, to the monastery, and he says to the, tells the master about this family who just was in very poor shape. And he said, oh, it's, it was just so sad to see their karma uh, turn out that way. And the Zen master says, and how do you know it's not your karma to help them? can't just say, oh, well, that's the way things are. That your part is to find whatever way you have to want to make a difference in this world. Because that's contagious. That if you do what you do from a place of caring and love and commitment, uh, that in itself is contagious. That's where I wanted to 
uh, mention about Carrie Nelson's uh, book. Um, I think it's called One Small Difference. Uh, that it's about, okay, what do I do now? When you have that question, what can I do? What's, where do I begin? Um, just even asking that question, okay, is going to put you in motion. So to, um, to know that you have everything you need inside of you to bring more consciousness into this world. As I've said, we're, we're in a race between fear and consciousness. And the more consciousness there is, the more contagious it is. Just like fear is contagious, consciousness is contagious. And here we are, ambassadors of consciousness, ambassadors of uh, really wanting to make this a better world. I would imagine if you're in Dharma practice, it means you're wanting to uh, do no harm, act for the good, and purify the mind. That's inspiring. So just uh, uh, before we open it up to a, a conversation, uh, just invite you to go inside. And first, honoring all your, whatever feelings might arise for you, um, in your wisest moments, how can you hold it? In your wisest moments, how can you go through these next weeks and months and somehow create enough space to allow for whatever is here without getting spun out in fear, worry, or confusion. What might support you in that, in getting that space to hold it all. You can think in very practical ways as well as um, metaphysical ways. As we all go through these uncharted waters. And then for a moment, get in touch with how much you care about this world. And what you might contribute from the gifts that life has given you, what that might look like. 
not from a place of fear, but from a place of commitment and courage and caring. Just what do you have to bring to this world? It doesn't have to be putting the whole world on your shoulders, saving it, but in what small way will you contribute to more consciousness and goodness in the world? Or might you? If you don't have an answer right now, that's okay. Don't put pressure on yourself. Just get in touch with that intention if it's there. How might it be, uh, uh, as Julia Butterfly Hill says, a joyful responsibility connecting holding hands feeding off the commitment of those around you and contributing And then uh, finally, letting go of knowing how it's going to turn out. Just see if in your mind, in your heart, you can create the most inspiring vision of the possibilities. of the opportunity that um, a shake-up might create? What kind of a world do you envision and want to work towards? And as I said, equanimity uh, lets go of, the, of attachment to how things turn out, but it doesn't mean that it abandons vision. The Buddha had clear vision that he was going for full enlightenment. And then he just put his whole heart into it and saw how it unfolded. In the same way, you can have a really inspiring vision and then just 
do your part to help bring that about. And then just see how it turns out. But it's good to have an inspiring vision. Gives you some juice. And I suggest that you include in your vision all the people who might think differently from you as well. We're we're all in this together. All the people who want to have a better life, a better world. And maybe see through their confusion to help bring that about. And uh, lastly, I invite you to just put your hand on your heart as a kind of self-compassion as you go through whatever you go through. And physically feel how you can hold yourself and comfort yourself. Along with the courage comes a a real tenderness of heart. Uh, That's the heart of the warrior as much as, as, as the the power. May I hold my suffering with kindness. This is part of life too. May I hold it with kindness and courage and commitment. And know that you, whatever you're feeling, you have a lot of company, a lot of company. And just to know when that energy is harnessed, amazing things can happen. So um, we can take some time if anything comes from that. Did you want to? Did you want to?
Did you want to say something? Yeah, I just want to echo something that James was saying. I'm a psychotherapist by trade, and of course, uh, everybody who walks in my office, I ask, how are you doing these days? And some say they're just fine, but most of them have some kind of processing you know, to inquire on what it's about, and uh, we spend a lot of time on that. What I offer them at the end is two words of wisdom, which is echoing what James is saying. One is from this woman, Julia Butterfly Hill, for those of you who don't know. A couple of years ago, she spent two years living in a redwood tree, 200 feet off the ground, as a way of saving the tree and, and advocating for the you know, logging rules. She was here, actually, I think three years ago. And a phrase I still remember, I offer to my clients, you get it for free. It says, action alleviates anxiety. And the other one I give is, I think from Gandhi, I'm not quite sure, but the phrase that you've probably heard this one as well, which is, what you do may not be very important, and it may be very important that you do it. So I think those are common guidelines to mm. echo what James is saying. Mm. Thank you. You know, I, I can't deny that I, I haven't felt anger mm-hmm. uh, and fear, but you might think this is strange, but in order for me to stay focused and determined, particularly in relation to climate change, is that Donald Trump, there are people who love him, and there are people he loves. And I just do hope that there is some shred of love for the people of the United States. Mm-hmm. Because I went to Nevada to campaign, and I felt the people's anger over there. I felt their suffering and their apathy, and it really woke me up. I, we are here in the Bay Area where most people mm-hmm. are of the same political ilk, and so it really brought some light to me and made me more aware yeah. of, of how people really feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And so I'm sending him loving kindness every mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I really honor what you're saying. And all of that disenchantment and, and anger, you know, is coming out of wanting to make it a better world. Yeah, so. And um, if anyone is interested in doing something, we have the Green Earth Sangha, which is affiliated here with Insight Meditation. Mm-hmm. And on uh, Wednesday, December 7th, we will be meeting. Uh, and if ever anybody would like to join us, uh, please come, and I'll be happy to take your name and phone number and call you. Mm-hmm. Thanks. This is Nan, who's in, uh, been a real activist and who's who's made a difference in, uh, in our local community in a number of different issues. So. And we've grown into being quite a Kalyana Mita group. What's that? We've grown into being quite a Kalyana Mita group, uh-huh. you know, a, where so. people do different actions. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's doing the same thing, but we all come together to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a Kalyana Mita group, if you're, if you're not familiar, that's a, a small Dharma support group, 
and they meet regularly and support each other in making a difference. Mm-hmm. So December 7th? December 7th, mm-hmm. yeah. Great. And I can give out more information at the next meeting. Thanks, Nan. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Either how you, you hold things in the difficult times or anything that might have come up from that. And here, once you pass it, we'll be going soon. If you can stay, that would be really appreciated. I've been feeling for um, oh, uh, maybe years, but certainly f- for the last many months, that whoever uh, won, that it was still they were going to be winning over a fractured country where, yeah, you know, you have blue coasts and a red. Uh, Heartland Midwest and and people not somehow or other not really getting each other and last week before coming here mm-hmm. I was thinking I really would like to you know understand something of the enthusiasm behind the other side behind the Trump side I mean that's the other for me um, and I I am working very closely with two people from one from Fresno one from Phoenix and I I called and talked to them probably three hours I guess. Mm. last week and just saying so explain to me the enthusiasm just because mm. you know i live in a place where it's hard to learn about where that enthusiasm is mm. and somehow one day last week i woke up uh, and i said we need to develop a ppp movement a purple pen pals uh, you know find find someone from a different color state and interact with them and and see if we can come towards a, a blending of learning you know what is Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have many relatives on my wife's side in particular who are you know, really good-hearted and pretty red and have been kind of co-opted by the, you know, the Rush Limbaugh kind of stuff. And, and I think there's, you know, there's maybe comparable kind of things that happen in Berkeley where we get kind of narrow-mindedly you know, uh, devoted to, of course, the right way, but <laughs> in a way that maybe doesn't understand. And one of the things that my friend in, in Fresno said is, um, he says, I have a, a lot of relatives in the Midwest where I grew up, in small town, rural Midwest. And they are just, they feel completely um, like, like a flyover country. No one understands them from the coasts. No one from Washington understands them, gets them, cares about them. Mm-hmm. They just want to be, you know, they want people to... to <laughs> they want to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, Michael Moore had a long rant that, that gave voice to that perspective that this mm-hmm. Fresno friend pointed me towards. Yeah. And I just, uh, p- part of what my processing, I guess, is to try and figure out how can we understand um, and how can they maybe learn to understand us a little bit mm-hmm. and, and become less polarized, less shrill. I, I completely agree. It's... That's going to be the task to learn how to hear, learn how to listen when it's a, a, a cry of sincerity rather than um, manipulation, but uh, to really hear. If there's pain there, as a Dharma practitioner, we want to respond to the pain, uh, not just because somebody has the same, uh, same views, but there's pain. So... I was going to say one more thing that really just struck me is uh, we've talked about climate change, this Fresno friend and I, and mm-hmm. I had assumed that he was, you know, a, a believer in climate change. And suddenly, you know, with a little bit of a, a little bit of a 
slice of daylight that he was on the victorious side at this point, really just some vehemence came back at me about, you know, Jim, you just don't understand. I know you believe in that, but you're wrong. And, and, yeah. and it's like, wow, I've just, I've, you know, I've been kind of this elite, you know, assuming that he was kind of part of this elite, <laughs> you know, uh, something. And it's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. this is, yeah. you know, there, there's something that. That's where the, the Buddha said, uh, uh, opinions and views. It's you can you can have your opinion and view. Just realize it's your opinion and view. But when it's based on fact, that that does make a difference. So just have as much fact as you can underlying your opinion and view. But respect that somebody might have different information that they're basing their reality on. So let's include everyone. And we'll, we'll just uh, end with a brief loving kindness. Okay, so include everybody, those who are suffering, those who cause suffering in their ignorance, those who are happy, those who cause happiness in their um, caring and consciousness. May all be free of fear. May all share their love well. May all know real peace and happiness. And may our coming here together be a benefit for all beings everywhere. Okay, good to spend the evening with you. Have a good week. Have a good Thanksgiving. Remember to be grateful and see all the good in your life. Mm-hmm.